What's up, everybody out there in Avalanche Lane, and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast with your two favorite podcast hosts, me, JJ Jerez, for one, and of course, Arif Dean. What a roller coaster of a week it's been for Avs fans. Arif, before we get into any of the goodness and uh, start breaking this down, I know you wanted to share a quote with the uh, the listeners first. Yeah, so I found this uh, story, and uh, it talks about guys that the Avalanche should target in the offseason, and and under goaltending, it has Darcy Kemper. Uh, name might sound familiar to you. I think the Avalanche just traded for him. Heard of him. And this, yeah, a little bit. Here's what it says. It says, this looked like the most looked like the most intriguing option for the longest time. His injury history is hard to ignore, and even more so given what the Coyotes are looking to acquire for him. I don't think Sakic is interested in trading a first round pick for a goalie just one year away from free agency. So perhaps other options are a better fit. So the guy who wrote the story is an idiot because Joe Sackick <laughs> did trade a first rounder for a guy with an injury history and uh, is one year away from UFA. I'm making it sound like it's a bad trade. Uh, by the way, I'm the author of this article and I'm here to defend myself and go back on what I said five days ago. I know that guy too. Yeah. He's an idiot you do the podcast with. <laughs> no, I like him. He's cool. Um, but yeah, lots to get into. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to start with the Kemper conversation because in my personal opinion, that's the biggest acquisition so far. Of, of course, the signing of Gabe Landeskog was cool. I can't really call it an acquisition, but I just think this was a, a more pivotal piece. And, and considering where the Avalanche were, backs against the wall, it was a, a necessary move that had to be made. So that being said, go ahead and justify your quote a little bit, and then we'll dive into uh, what went the other way. So actually, I'm going to dive into what went the other way first, and then go I'm going to go ahead and go justify it. it. We're going to flip that a little bit. So here's what the <laughs> avalanche... What yeah, right here. You're just the host. <laughs> you're just that guy. Here's what the avalanche traded for Darcy Kemper. They traded a first round draft pick in 2022. Young defenseman Connor Timmins and a conditional third round draft pick in 2024 with the condition of that draft pick being if the avalanche win the cup and Kemper plays 50% of the playoff games, they get a third rounder in 2024. If the avalanche win the cup, and Kemper wins 50% of the playoff games. You guys can have Joe Sackick at that point. Like, who cares about that third rounder? It's ultimately, it's a first in 2022 in Connor Timmins. The Coyotes are retaining $1 million, So Darcy Kemper is going to count for $3.5 million against the cap. He's going to split time with Pavel Francouz. He is our new starting goalie in Denver for the Colorado Avalanche. Here is why I'm going to go back on what that idiot author said in his story five days ago and why I think this is a good pickup. The Avalanche had their backs up against the wall. Darcy Kemper was pretty much the last option out there and became literally the last option out there once Linus Olmark signed in Boston for four years, 20 million. Holy crap. Here's the thing, though. Darcy Kemper was the last option, but he was still, before any of this happened, one of the first priority options that the Avalanche were going to look at if Grubauer was to walk. The only coincidence is... You think because the Avalanche decided to go so far into this negotiation with Grubauer and it stretched into the first day of free agency before Seattle came out of nowhere and outbid them, you'd think that by then it's slim pickings, but it wasn't. The guy on the trade market that was going to be pretty much the first option that the Avalanche go for if Grubauer walks was still there. They traded a first rounder who, let's face it, if you're lucky as the Coyotes, it'll be a 25th overall pick. It's not going to be a 25th overall pick. It was the 29th pick this year. And that's because the only two teams that had a higher draft pick in the first round were the two teams in the Stanley Cup final. And Connor Timmins, who, look, Connor Timmins is going to be a good defenseman. He's been on the avalanche for a while. We've been waiting for him to develop. He kind of started to take those steps this year. But you got a young Sam Gerrard and a young Kale McCarr and a young Bowen Byram and a pretty decently young Devon Taves. You got Justin Barron coming. How many defensemen do you need? It was time to let one go and you let the one go. That doesn't really matter that much. I know people love Connor Timmins, but he doesn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things. So for a starting goalie who could win you a Stanley Cup, who's 31 years old, who if he plays well enough, will likely get a two or three year contract extension and be around here for a while. You acquired him for a depth defenseman that you don't need and a 27th to 32nd overall draft pick. The idiot that wrote that story five days ago didn't really consider just how good a deal this is, not only for the Coyotes who made out like bandits on their end, but for the Avalanche who got a goalie who is as good, if not better, 
than Philip Grubauer. No disrespect to the F starter for the last three years. A couple things I want to unpack in that long sentence you had there, and that's I'm going to start with Timmons. I'm with you on that fact, right? I think he kind of, we saw what he had to offer. We saw that he was a little bit injury prone and it happened constantly. So, you know, when you see that happen within a team, it's pretty frequent that you see them move on. I mean, we've we've seen that happen with a handful of defensemen with the Avalanche in the last 10 years, and, and it ha- it's going to continue to happen. So they gave him a shot. He was nice to have around. He wasn't exactly anything amazing. He wasn't anybody that was going to step into one of the top four spots and steal it, especially considering the guys that are in front of him. So I'm with you. He was expendable in that sense. However... What they have left for this season, I like your point about the future. There's plenty of guys and plenty of names that can step in in the future. But what's left for this season, I still think it's hard to really swallow because, you know, what you've got McDonald, uh, you've got maybe McDermott, depending how they want to use him, and they've got um, one more who's from uh, last year. Give it to me. One of the D guys. Well, uh, anyway, Byram? they just the, the guys that they have stepping in to replace a guy like Timmins are, aren't exactly guys that are that you're in love with, right? I mean, even losing a guy like Nemeth, you're like, perfect. We don't need a guy like Nemeth. I don't think the guys replacing um, Timmins are any better than Nemeth. So really, you're kind of taking a step backwards with the with the depth defenseman here, I think. And um, they're having a hard time getting anybody on free agency, right? Uh, like I pointed out last year, no Alexiak coming here. They took. It sounds like they were taking shots at Suter. He's getting overpaid somewhere else. It's tough for the Avalanche to compete in this market. And so there, it's kind of tough to let one go when you kind of really need them. But you needed a goaltender even more. So I'm okay letting them go. I'm with you. Kemper is an upgrade. And man, you can't beat that price, right? If they're only taking three point five million of that salary, even if it's just for one year, I think that's fantastic. So I love the Kemper play, but what got you into this situation was the mishandling of the negotiations of Grubauer. Would you not call them mishandling? Yes, I will, and I'm going to get into that in a second. But I just want to kind of refrain. You know, I want to I want to go back on what you were just saying about the depth. Uh, the top four is exactly what we know it to be. The Avalanche are confident that Eric Johnson's healthy and that he can play 15 to 18 minutes a game. Let's not let's not forget, by the way, this team, a couple of years ago, Eric Johnson was playing a ton of minutes. Last year, obviously not as much. But moving forward, this team is going to heavily rely on three players. And it is Devon Taves, Kale McCarr and Sam Girard. They are going to play 22, 23, 24 minutes a night. And then there's going to be a major drop off until you get to defensemen's four and five, which are Eric Johnson and Bo Byram. And then another drop off before you get to defenseman number six, which right now is McDonald. That's fine. Oh, the depth, uh, Gilbert was the guy I couldn't think of. Dennis Gilbert. Gilbert yes. Thank you. Uh, the depth behind McDonald in terms of uh, behind Jacob McDonald in terms of guys that can step into the lineup right now are Dennis Gilbert, who's an RFA if he resigns. And then after that, there's not much, but I will say a couple things. Number one, the avalanche are very high on Justin Barron and man, I am excited to see what he does in training camp. I am very excited to see because like Bowen Byram last year, Justin Barron just might be ready to step in. And I know that's a little bit crazy to think, but for a 19-year-old who's, you know, 6'2", 195, and was just drafted less than 12 months ago because everything's all screwed up now, if he steps in, he's not going to play a big role. He's going to play number five, number six, number seven defenseman. Kind of like we saw from Byram. Kind of like we saw from Byram. Granted, Byram was starting yeah, to get he, his... he excelled, he was, and he they just, were like, all right, we're putting you... Yeah. He was quickly, and they're like, we're, you're going to play top four. Yeah. Then he got injured, and, you know, he kind of took, took some yep. time away, but... Baron may or may not be ready pretty soon. And if he's not, there is a ton of depth options you can pick up. There's a ton of guys that are just guy. I mean, let's not pretend this team wasn't playing guys like friggin' uh, Keaton Middleton and Kyle Burrows a lot of nights. So if you have enough injuries to your top six where you need Connor Timmons in this current depth chart, the same exact depth chart that I just listed with Connor Timmons on it before the Kemper trade, if you have enough injuries where you need Connor Timmons playing top three minutes on your blue line, you have a lot bigger issues to, 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 to worry about. And with Grubauer in Seattle and the other two goalies you have in Frankie and Johansson and not really knowing who's going to play and how many games, uh, Connor Timmons playing on your third line is fine. Connor Timmons playing on your third line behind a couple goalies that you don't know what you're going to get from them, no disrespect to Pavel, who's been injured all year, is a little bit worse. So trading Timmons might seem bad, but as soon as you get a replacement for him and it could just be any guy who's just going to give you depth defenseman duties, 
that's all you need. And if Timmons goes on to have a career like Ryan Graves did when the Rangers let him go and took off with the avalanche, all the better to him, all the power to him. But let's not pretend that was ever going to happen in Denver behind Makar, Gerard, Taves, and Byram. It was just not, and, and Barron, it was just not going to happen here. So to trade him for a starting goalie while getting them to retain a million, I don't mind it at all. I think it's a good deal for the Avs. And it was tough, right? I mean, they were desperate. It, while it, it stunk to see Grubauer leave and to hear that the negotiations fell through, you got to think, okay, th- they're in a position where they kind of have to overpay. And for the crowd that thinks they overpaid, you can't forget that the final results of a negotiation is never the starting point. So it's not like Joe Sackick immediately came out of the gate and said, we're going to give you all this, 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 and this. It was probably a little bit of back and forth and eventually leading to what people are believing is an overpayment. But you can't forget, they probably weren't the only team in on Kemper, right? So not only did they have to make a deal that fit their team, but they also had to beat out other teams with their quote-unquote offer here, right? So it is confirmed. There there was a bit of a negotiation war with the Edmonton Oilers there at the end, and the Oilers were offering a first-round draft pick. The Avalanche were offering a first-rounder and Connor Timmins, and that's where the difference came. The Oilers pick is probably going to be in the low 20s. The Avalanche pick in the high 20s plus a depth defenseman. So they did. They did have to do a little bit of a negotiation, but it's okay. Right. I mean, it was either you you had to drive up that price. Otherwise, you were going to be ended up with a goaltender that wasn't going to be able to take you as far as Kemper can take you. Right. Yes. Maybe Varlamov was left. Maybe not. You know, and other than that, the names were really drawn thin unless you had to, you know, wheel some sort of other bigger trade like with Anaheim, for example. So I think in retrospect, you know, sure, you'd like to get them for a little bit less, but they had to do what they had to do to get what they needed. And that that's the most important part for me. I mean, you know, I have a real estate background and you see it all the time. You love this house. OK, well, we're going to have to beat out other people for it or else you're not going to get it. And that's exactly what it ha- what had to happen here. You want this goalie. You want a goalie that can steal games for you like we've seen him do with Arizona, well, you're going to have to fork over something that's going to entice him because well, while Arizona is known for taking players and contracts that they don't use, they're not exactly looking to get, you know, bent over here either. And uh, yeah, so there was a there was a follower on Twitter that was kind of going back and forth with other with other uh, fans and, and was tweeting at me and uh, I apologize, I forget who it was. It may have been a guy or a girl, I don't remember, but he or she was saying that once you saw what the price was, you need to move on. But it's like, no, because then you're sitting on a first round draft pick in Connor Timmins, but you have no starting goalie. Like this isn't, uh, you know, I want to go to the trade deadline and add a depth forward like Carl Soderberg to maybe step into a bigger role. Um, okay, we'll give you Carl Soderberg for a second rounder. Go screw yourself. I'd rather keep the second rounder and use my depth forwards. This is not the same. This is your starting goalie. And I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning. The Avalanche had their backs up against the wall and were in a bidding war for who they were going for, for what they were needing to give up to get this guy. But this is still the guy they wanted all along. This is the guy we've been talking about. We did a freaking episode where I talked about picking up Darcy Kemper and letting Arizona uh, retain one to one and a half million of it, not even a month ago. And here we are, the Avalanche brought in Darcy Kemper. They retained a million. They lost Philip Grubauer to a contract that if the Avalanche signed it would have looked silly, you know, maybe win a cup in a year, but that is just not a contract you give to Grubauer. I love the dude, but all the power to you. Have fun in Seattle. It would have been a bad contract to give him. You got the guy that we've been talking about. For once, the actual dude that everybody's been talking about worked. What is the joke we've been making for the last month? Joe Sackick always makes moves that none of us expect. We're going to sit here and be like, oh, they're going to sign Taylor Hall. They're going to sign this guy and that guy. He went out and traded for Brandon Saad and Devon Taves. He always makes the moves that nobody expects. He finally made the move that we all have been talking about for months. Like for the last two months, I thought Kemper was already on the abs. We've been talking about it for so much. He made the move we've been talking about. And now we're going to complain because we gave up the fifth best young defenseman, not even overall defenseman on this team to get him. No, I mean, I'm with it. I get it. I'm, I don't think it's a bad move. And I, lo- I loved the fact that they, they went after somebody who not only we know is good, but we've seen shut down the avalanche single-handedly, right? I love that idea. It's almost like the uh, Air, uh, Andre Iguodala of several years ago when he is with the Nuggets, gets beat by the Warriors and says, I want to go play for that team. So, you know, I, I think that's good and you can attract players that way. Sounds, um, a, lot like, uh, sounds a lot like Corey Perry. Go on. 
Corey, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what he did too, huh? Can't beat you guys. I'm going to join you guys. I, I love the thought process, but is this a, a, just a Band-Aid over the wound that is left from the Grubauer negotiation? Or do you think Kemper, you know, might have a chance of re-signing here after the year's done because he is a free agent after next season? No, he absolutely has a has a chance of re-signing here. Uh, I know a lot of people are upset that Brandon Saad moved on, which we'll talk about in a little bit going to St. Louis, but... Brandon Saad was a one-year rental from the beginning. As soon as that trade was made, it was, this is a one-year rental. We all knew it. We kind of tried to talk it not into existence and say, hey, maybe he can come back. But we all knew Brandon Saad was a one-year thing. This is not a one-year thing. This isn't, you know, 24-year-old ready to be an NHL starter, Eustace Annanen playing behind Darcy Kemper, where we know he's going to take over next year. This isn't Soros behind Rene. This is Darcy Kemper and Pavel Francouz, who are both UFAs next summer, who both might come back, who are both going to continue to be the avalanche starter until Annan is ready, assuming he actually becomes what we all expect him to be. Darcy Kemper is 31. The aging curve for goalies is different. They usually last a lot longer. They play well into their 30s. There is no reason why a healthy Darcy Kemper that provides what the avalanche need in goal, which by the way, like I love Philip Grubauer, but he wasn't stealing games for the Avalanche. He was making 19 saves off off of every 20 shots, which is a pretty solid 95% save percentage, 0.95, which is a damn good number. He had great numbers last year. He deserved his Vezina nomination. But all Darcy Kemper has to do is match that. And this is a guy coming from a team where he had to play standing on his head. You know what he reminds me of? Semyon Varlamov with the Avalanche had to play out of his mind every night, getting peppered, went to the Islanders, joined a structured team, and look how damn good Varley is. That is exactly what Kemper's doing, leaving the Coyotes for the Avalanche. And Varley had the same injury history that Kemper does. He was around the same age, and look at him. He's a long-term option in New York, and that's what you're going to get out of Kemper, assuming he doesn't tweak another MCL next year. But that right there is exactly my fear. Say he has a similar year to Grubauer. Come negotiation time, we're back in the same boat where Joe mm. Sackett doesn't want to overpay for Kemper. Okay. And then he walks. Yes, yes. And that is exactly the conversation I just had with my roommate, who a lot of you know is Mike Chambers of the Denver Post. And we were talking about that. And I said, you don't you don't give Kemper an extension now, which by the way, I asked Darcy this morning on our uh, Zoom call if there was any talks of an extension. He said, not yet. We haven't even brought that up yet. There's been a lot going on. You don't sign him now and do that dumb thing they did with Brad Stewart where they brought in a veteran, gave him an extension before playing a game, but you don't wait until the offseason. If November 25th, November 30th, December 13th, just pick a random date, comes around and a healthy Darcy Kemper is 13, 4, and 3 with a 924 save percentage, give the guy a two-year, $9 million contract and lock him up ASAP. Well, don't forget, that's exactly how it went down with Francouz, right? He started getting hot. The rest of the NHL started noticing, and Joe Sackick said, nope, we're locking you up. You're not getting a free agency at the end of this year. Two years, four million, two million a year. That's exactly the kind of thing you can do with Darcy Kemper. And people know that they're getting less money now than they were in the past. Uh, And the reason why, by the way, I, I use the... So you can get Kemper for around that four, four and a half, which is what he's making now, maybe five max. Uh, The reason why I say November and December is because you don't let it go to February. Because by the time February comes around, our guy might be a goalie for Team Canada. And that's going to boost your value up. So you don't mm-hmm. let him get there. Let's let's face it, dude. For the last three years, we've been talking about the four goalies to look for for the for Team Canada are Carey Price, Marc-Andre Fleury, Jordan Binnington, and Darcy Kemper. One of those names is not like the other. It's Jordan Binnington. He's fallen off of the map. Darcy Kemper did too, but he's playing for the Coyotes, man. Feel bad for him. He's going to come to the Avalanche. He's going to give you what you want, and he's going to do it. And the last thing I will say to defend this trade, because I need to prove that idiot author from four days ago that he is an idiot, is what was I complaining about at the trade deadline that a lot of other people were complaining about too? It's that the Avalanche never make a swing for it. They never take that swing. They trade fourth rounders for Brassard and Nemesnikov and Patrick Nemeth and a couple of whatever prospects for Carl Soderberg. For once, I wanted to see the Avalanche go out and trade a first and a third rounder for Nick Foligno, just like Toronto did. And then I'm going to stop there. Toronto traded a first and a third for Nick Foligno to get 25 games of his services and pissed away a first and a third. The Avalanche are doing that with Timmins instead of, you know, a, a third for a starting goalie, not even at the trade deadline in the offseason. They're finally taking that swing that I've been saying. They're not playing it conservative. They're doing what they need to do. 
to give themselves the best chance to win the cup. And they did it by bringing in a six foot five hulking goaltender. This is a good move. We need to chill out a little bit on Connor Timmons. This is, we just, we got to relax a bit on Timmons. Exactly. And I don't want to, you know, disrespect anything that Grubauer did while he was here, but looking back at his time in an avalanche sweater, I mean, he was so streaky. It would just, he would go for about two, three months. So you're like, you don't notice the streak two, three months of hot, great goaltending. And then when you need him, he falls off, whether it's through injury or just, it suddenly doesn't seem to have it. And that's exactly what we saw in the playoffs. That's what we saw the year before when he kind of broke down a little bit. Um, So you know, I'm fine moving on. I'm fine not overpaying because that would have been an overpayment, right? Giving Grubauer that kind of money and that kind of term is way more of an overpayment than anything that he gave up for Kemper. So fantastic move. I love the move. I'm excited to see what Kemper does in an Av sweater. And he always has such great style with his setups too. I'm excited to see his pad yeah. set up this year. He's a, he's a very, very cool guy. He just seemed very, you know, very jolly, happy dude in his call. And I'm glad you kind of just set me up without even realizing it by mentioning Grubauer's career with the Avalanche. Again, we are not a podcast that's coming around here to disrespect Grubauer. That is not what we're doing. So please don't take it as such. We 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 love him as much as the average fan does. And and he was he was great when he was here. He spent three years in Colorado. So here is his stats in the three years in Colorado. He started 108 games, and and mind you, the last year was inflated. He went 39 and one last year. That played a big part into these numbers, but it's still the last three seasons. In 108 starts, he went 66, 30, and 10 with a 918 save percentage and a 238 goals against. Darcy Kemper's last three seasons in Coyote in Arizona, the same three years, 19, 20, and 21. In those three, same three years, Kemper played 111 games. On a non-playoff team, he went 53, 42, and 13. Grubauer had a 918 save percentage. He had a 922. Grubauer had a 238 goals against. Kemper had a 235. Grubauer surrendered 256 goals. Kemper surrendered 257. Here is the kicker. Grubauer faced 3,131 shots. Darcy Kemper faced 3,290. He made a lot more saves. He saw a lot more puck. He went... 922 save percentage on a team that wouldn't have made the playoffs all three years had it not been for the bubble and that weird play-in round, which gave them the opportunity of a gifted Stanley Cup you know, playoff position and they got blown away by the Avs. Grubauer had 12 shutouts. Kemper had nine. This is a good goalie. This is a goalie who is as good, if not better than Grubauer. And if you're going to sit here and talk like Kemper's this old dude with an injury history who's over the hill and all this other crap, he's literally 18 months older than Philip Grubauer. So in 18 months from now, when Grubauer still has four and a half years left on his deal making 5.9, that's what you have right now in Kemper making three and a half million. I'm with it. I'm with it. Of course, you can't deny the fact that he was doing that all behind a much worse team, right? And now he's joining the Avalanche, who, yes, are a better Arizona team. But let's let's get into the rest of the team. Let's get into the rest of the moves, the rest of the lineup. Arif, I want you to sit here. Look at me at through Skype. So look at your computer screen. Mm-hmm. Look me in my pixelated eyes and tell me that this current Avalanche team is not worse than the one we left off with. I, I think they made an improvement at goaltender. But as far as the rest of the team... I feel like they might have taken a little bit of a step backwards. Oh, no, they've absolutely taken a step backwards. And I'm going to say exactly what Joe Sackick said on his press conferences the last couple of days. We knew that 2019 or sorry, 2020, 2021 was going to be our deepest roster. We've been talking about it all year. You and I having a one point eight million dollar fourth line center, having a two point eight million dollar fourth line winger, having a three point nine million dollar for a third line winger, having a three point one million dollar third pair defenseman. And those are, by the way, the four guys that are gone, Belmar, Calvert, Graves, Donskoy. We've been talking about it all along. They are not going to be able to afford that anymore. They are not going to have that on their roster anymore. Is their team better now than they were last year on paper? No. But when you have a team that's young like this, you have to kind of look at the Washington Capitals for all those years where they were full of all of these players. And then the year that they got rid of, all that crazy depth they had and they had to have random guys come up from the AHL that they signed for league minimum like Devontae Smith-Pelly be playoff heroes. That's what you have in the avalanche now. 
McKinnon's going to take a step. Rantanen's going to take a step. Landeskog, we know what he brings. Byram's going to take a step. Gerard, Taves, and McCarr for a full 82-game season. Kel McCarr's going to score 90 goddamn points, man. Like, that guy's a great defenseman. All of these guys are going to take steps. You need your big players to be your big players. It is no longer a goodbye committee team. It is a your best players got to lead the show and your depth guys got to step up when you need them. So are they a better team than last year? No. But are they going to do better? Probably. Yeah. I mean, there's a good chance of it. We've seen it over and over and over and over throughout the NHL history. Great teams aren't always that good, right? I mean, how long were the Capitals one of the best teams in the NHL and got nowhere? Suddenly they take a couple steps backwards with their lineup and they win a cup, right? I mean, nobody really saw Washington winning a cup that year. And I think that that's the kind of stuff that happens. So it's not so much about acquiring the most skill and the best guys you can. It's about acquiring a team that can win together and acquiring a team that can play playoff hockey. And I think there's two things we can note that Joe Sackick actively made his team more playoff ready and you can hate this take or not but I think the addition of McDermott and Helm adds some grit and adds some playoff style hockey that they might be able to combat a little bit better than we've seen in in recent years 100% and I hate the fact that you and I don't disagree on much things on this podcast because if you and I disagreed on things I would mop the floor with you with my opinion but we always agree on things and I hate that I hate it it's, you know, this is nothing like Merrick versus Wyshynski, just as Arif and JJ. Like, we're just always saying the same things. But yeah, every once in a while we we differ, but we kind of yeah. explain each other through it, right? We don't sit here and argue, no, you're dumb. No, that's a bad take. Yeah. We kind of, well, let me, let me talk you through my thought process here, but go ahead. Yeah. So Curtis McDermott, I like the pickup because he is exactly what you just said. He is a gritty, uh, powerful dude who's not i mean let, let's face it the guy's not going to score a lot he's 27 years old he's six foot five 233 pounds he was brought here for i'm going to use the term kyle keith used on twitter i like guys who smash and this is a guy that likes to smash get your head out of the gutter jj <laughs> that that's what he's gonna do in 28 games he had two goals and four points and i love what joe sackick said on his call yesterday like he was open about the fact that this guy is in here just to be an enforcer and an intimidator he said, yeah, we're going to use Curtis whenever we deem necessary at forward or defense. The guy's listed as a defenseman. They're just going to throw him into the lineup wherever the hell they can and be like, go be Scott Parker. Like, that's all they're going to do. And it's something that, as uh, I believe it was Joe Sackick that said it as well, the guys in the locker room, the team, are really excited to have him. They know that they want somebody like that. Now you know if you screw around, we saw Milan Lucic trying to go at Gabe Landeskog. You do that? this hulking dude's going to jump over the boards that makes $800,000 a year and is going to sit your ass in the penalty box for five minutes holding your nose. That's what you get in Curtis McDermott. He's 27 years old. He's not even old. So he's, he's not, you know, way above the hill. So he's going to provide that in Darren Helm, my favorite signing of the day for the avalanche. Cause the other ones were just depth guys. You get a guy who is 34 years old. Who's won a Stanley cup in his rookie season has played over 700 games and managed to stick in the lineup throughout these years with the Detroit Red Wings. I know they've been bad for the last three or four, but let's not pretend the first eight or nine years of his career were not with a cup contender pretty much every year. He scores a lot of shorthanded goals. He creates a lot of opportunity on the penalty kill. He's a great penalty killer. He's a centerman. He plays on the wing. He's a leader. He's played with Datsuk, with Zetterberg, with Lidstrom. He knows what it takes to win. And by the way, the last time Joe Sackick played a playoff game, he got swept, him, Peter Forsberg, and Adam Foote by a Detroit Red Wings team in 2008 that had Darren Helm on the other side. I absolutely love this pickup. I love what he's going to bring for the Avalanche. And before Kemper and before 34-year-old Darren Helm, the only guys on the roster above the age of 30 were Eric Johnson, Pavel Francouz, and Nazem Kadri. Gabe Landeskog was the fourth oldest guy at 28. And what is something that you can say that Johnson, Francis, and Kadri all have in common, none of them played against the Vegas Golden Knights last year. So of the team coming back before the Kemper and Helm picks pickups, 28-year-old Landeskog was the oldest dude in that locker room. They needed a veteran there. They needed somebody who's old enough to have played against Joe Sackick. Like he's been around for a long time. He is a great leader and he's still got something left in the tank. And even if he doesn't, it's a million dollars whoop to do yeah, I remember about halfway through this past season, another thing that I thought we were going to disagree on, and we ended up agreeing, was 
just the fact that we needed a guy in here like that, right? You and I were talking, okay, you got Graves, you got Calvert, Calvert's in and out of the lineup. Now you don't have either of those guys, and all that was left at that point to take some bodies or swing some fists was Gabe Landeskog. So you get rid of those first two, and all you have is Landeskog. You have to bring in a guy like this. So I don't understand the uh, the people out there that were hating on the move because you need somebody like this desperately. And if that Ryan Graves situation, sure, he doesn't play in the biggest of games, and sometimes in playoff games he gets scratched, but you still have to have an answer for a guy like that. You can't just ignore... Uh, you know, a big bruising body like that in the opposing lineup. So with McDermott, it was crazy. Really quick, really, really, really quick. I got to cut you off. You said Ryan Graves. I think you mean Ryan Reeves. Yeah. Did I say Graves? Yeah. Ryan Reeves. Okay. I think you said Graves. I thought I heard Graves and I'm like, wait, I Probably. think I know what you're trying to say. But yes, go on. Yeah. He, he is a deterrent to Ryan Reeves. The Avalanche have a Ryan Reeves problem and they just solved it. Right. I was talking too fast. My mind was moving a million miles per hour because I was too busy thinking about what a head scratcher it was from Ron Francis to pick up a guy like McDermott. There were so many better options from the LA Kings that were left unprotected. And he goes with McDermott just to sell him for, or flip him for a fourth. I think that was kind of a weird wasted pick from Francis. He, yeah, he, he's done a lot of that. I, I don't understand what Francis is doing. I understand the idea of weaponizing cap space, but not to this extent. He did the same thing with uh, Gavin Bayreuther from the Blue Jackets, and he traded him right back to the Blue Jackets for literally nothing. Like you... You don't want to. You don't need to want Max Domi to pick him up, retain some money, and get a second rounder for him. Like it's not that hard. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is what Curtis McDermott is going to bring to the lineup, and he's not going to play 82 games. So we need to relax right. on expecting him. And and if you're complaining about a fourth rounder again, what are you doing? Like <laughs> this team needs to win a cup. They need all the pieces, like you said, to not build the most skilled team, to build a team that can do it, to get over the hump to be a complete team that can actually make it past the second round and win eight playoff games in a year for once. So with that, let's get into Brandon Saad a little bit. I think that's something that Avalanche are a little bit wounded over. I think it's something we all expected to see, but it sounds like the AAV for Saad was a, a little bit lower than we expected. The term is kind of what caught me off guard, but you know, once again, you just couldn't overpay, and he was a guy that was getting courted from a lot of teams. He was going to get yes. overpaid. You noticed, You knew that right out of the gate, so... Um, yeah, it's it stinks to lose a guy like Saad. He did bring some stuff to the table, but he wasn't so amazing that he's irreplaceable. So, you know, thanks for the year you gave here, but um, you know, good luck in St. Louis. I'm not I'm not too rattled about it. No, and I'm not too rattled about it either because, like I said, Saad was brought in here with the idea that he's a one year rental, and if it turns into anything more than that, it's a bonus. And the Avalanche tried, but they weren't going to outbid the St. Louis Blues. Now, if you remember when we kind of put together that roster a few episodes ago, I said that Brandon Saad at a four-year deal for four and a half a year would be a good deal. Well, this is, by the way, this is a player that makes $6 million a year on his last contract. So it was already a pay cut for him to go down to four and a half, and he doesn't really deserve a pay cut. It's just a flat cap world. Well, he got four and a half in a year, but he got it for five years. That's fine too. That's something you can kind of maybe stomach if you're the Avalanche, not necessarily because of his age and you got to pay, you know, even Burakovsky before McKinnon next year. But the thing that sticks out to me is the first four years of his deal has a no movement clause. And that's a big no-no for this team. Not with McKinnon's contract coming up, not with what Rantanen and McCarr make, not with the fact that both Nazem Kadri and Andre Burakovsky are UFAs next year. And you don't even have a winger to play with them right now, you know, assuming it's Alex Newhook or whoever else. You don't really have a second line signed for next season. You cannot give Brandon Saad a four-year no movement of a five-year contract. So good luck in St. Louis. The Avalanche are probably going to go out and sign a couple of depth pieces. I still think Thomas Tatar would be the good pickup. Stick him on the wing with Kadri and Burakovsky. Let Newhook grow and see where this team goes. Right. While I'm here preaching the value of, you know, maybe losing some skilled guys and building a more complete team. Bottom line is, bottom line is you can't get rid of Saad and Donskoy and replace them with nothing. So, you know, I still see another move coming, something like that. Too. Nothing too crazy. Um, but yeah, you still need at least one more guy in there just to, to create a little bit more of a threat. But make sure he's a complete player, right? He's not just a one-sided, you like him because he scores goals. You like him because he does one aspect. You need somebody who could do a little bit of everything just in case, you know, you got to shuffle the lines up as Jared Bednar is known to do. Yeah, and they they you know they have about seven. I think before the helm signing, they had about seven point two five million dollars in cap space. Seven point twenty six. I tweeted it yesterday with Darren Helm, and that includes, by the way, Sherwood and McDermott, which they're probably not going to be on the opening night roster. So you can stick them in the AHL and save another one point 
whatever the hell million, six million. Tyson Jost is the only guy left that needs a contract. Dennis Gilbert as well, but again, he's not going to get more than 900, which means if he's in the AHL, his salary is buried. It doesn't count against the cap. Tyson Jost is the only RFA left that's going to be a full-time NHLer. I still think he's going to make roughly 2 million. So that leaves you with about 5.25, we'll say 6 million in cap space because Sherwood's going to be in the AHL. You have 6 million in cap space. You need two things right now if you're the Avs. You need one left winger because the other one, I assume, is going to be Newhook, who's going to replace Donskoy or Saad. But you need one left winger and probably a depth defenseman. $6 million or even $5.26 million is a ton of money to get something like that. And that doesn't include the fact that if you want to go out and explore the trade market, maybe you can find a taker for JT Comfer, who makes 3.5. Now suddenly you trade, let's say, Comfer plus picks and prospects for a $6 million winger, and you still have, on top of that, another 3 or $4 million to go out and bring in another defenseman. Like, there is still a lot of work here for Sakic to do, but he's got a lot of money to weaponize. Thomas Tatar is not going to cost you more than a million and a half, maybe $2 million if you want to bring him in, or you can go out and trade for somebody else, or you can do both and really bolster that depth. There's a ton of cap space here, and getting your starting goalie at only $3.5 million is what makes this all possible. It really feels like the entirety of Avalanche Land, from Joe Sackick to the guy who just became a fan yesterday, are all in agreement that JT Comfort probably needs to be traded. So my only worry is, is are there no takers for him? Is Joe Sackick trying to get rid of him and nobody's really wanting him at this price? I am not confident that Comfort is going to get traded. I've been tweeting about it. I've been saying it. JT Comfort is a good player. Um, but it's going to cost the Avalanche an asset to trade him at this point. And the reason why that is, is because he's got two more years at a $3.5 million cap hit, but more so than that, in real dollars, he's owned four and a half and then three and a half million. So whoever trades for JT Comfort is going to pay him $8 million in real money over the next two years, 4 million a year. It's a lot of money for JT Comfort. When the Darcy Kemper deal was announced and I knew the Avalanche were going to give up a lot, I was kind of hoping they could attach Comfort to that. Even if it became Comfort Timmins, a first and a second, like you you give him an extra second rounder to take Comfort uh, for Kemper, that would have still been worth it in my opinion because you're clearing up that three and a half. At this point, I don't know who would take it. Uh, the only other option that I have that I'm confident might be a little bit interested is the guy they got him from. It's from Buffalo. Buffalo's kind of decimating their roster right now. They don't really have many forwards playing and especially if they trade Jack Eichel, they might say, hey, you know what? We'll take that guy here as a conditional God knows what. Here's $3.5 million off your cap space. Bring him in here. You know, we're going to bring him back to Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, other than that, do you do you see any other moves that the Avs need to make uh, aside from, you know, the unpredictable possible free agent that might be out there or trade that we have no idea Joe Sackick might be working? No, that's pretty much it. Like in an ideal world, the Avalanche are going to bring in a solid left winger in the $4 million range and a solid defenseman in the $2 million range. And that's it. Your roster's done. That's it. Yeah. Like, or not in an ideal world, in a realistic world, that's what you're going to do in a Mm -hmm. more ideal world. You're also going to clear up conference three and a half, which is going to give you about $9 million in cap space. And with that 9 million, you're going to bring about a $5 million left winger. You're going to bring Tatar for about one and a half. And then you're going to have another two and a half to bring in another defenseman. So now you have an extra forward in Tatar, an extra forward in that $5 million winger to directly replace Donskoy and Saad while still having this little special weapon named Alex Newhook, who's ready to battle these guys for roster spots and for ice time. And then you have a defenseman that could play on that third pair to keep Jacob McDonald out of the top six, which nothing against Jacob McDonald, but you want depth. You know Jacob's going to play 50 games because someone's going to get hurt. So the Avalanche have some options here. They have some things to do. And what we've seen from Joe Sackick over the last few years is he is not, he does not rush. He takes his time. He signed Valerie Nichushkin in a regular off season that goes at a regular time. He signed him in August. He takes time to make his moves and he's going to look around. Uh, he's going to sniff around the trade market. Going back to that article that I wrote, you know, that idiot author that said they're not going to trade a first rounder for Kemper. Uh, some of the guys that I talked about in there, Tyler Bozak as a depth forward would love to come to Denver because he lives here. He went to DU. He'll likely take a pay cut to come here. Uh, another option on the trade market is, uh, J- not Jacob Silverberg, Ricard Raquel. He's a scoring winger. He plays on the right wing or the left wing. Uh, 
there's a lot of options out there. Sackick has other moves coming. He's not going to sit on $7 million of cap space. Whether he trades comfort or not, this team is going to look good. Are they as deep as last year? Probably not, but it's okay. They're going to be better. Still a work in progress, right? We still have uh, much to wait from this offseason. It's not yes. near from over. So um, that being said, I think everything, uh, we, we got to talk about the Gabe Landeskog issue, right? I think that was the number one issue that made Avs fans sweat last week and uh, definitely was on people's mind all week long, probably distracting a lot of people from their day-to-day tasks. Just worried about what, what's going to happen with Gabe Landeskog because you know people out there really made it seem like it was a worrisome situation. I never sweat. Go back all the podcasts. I said it's going to happen. It's going to get done. Of course, I had my own little conspiracies behind each thought, right? <laughs> but I knew it was going to happen. I was never worried. And of course, ultimately, at the 12th hour, it did happen. So um, yeah, let's get into Gabe Landeskog. What would you like about it? What'd you, uh, what what do you think about the um, contract that was ultimately signed? You can, you can believe that it was going to happen all along and know that things were going to get fixed while also admitting that it was a contentious or contentious uh, uh, negotiation. And it, there was issues. There was emotions involved. Media was not blowing it out of proportion. This is my least favorite opinion out there that media, and I'm not saying this because I'm media. I'd be saying this even if I wasn't working here. Nobody was blowing this out of proportion. And you want to know why nobody was blowing it out of proportion? Because the quotes that came out came from Gabe Landeskog's mouth that I'm frustrated, I hate where this is going, I'm not going to lie, I'm pissed off, I'm that. Well, he didn't say pissed off, but you get the point. This wasn't, uh, I'm hearing Landeskog's camp is frustrated. This was straight up Gabe Landeskog writing a story, uh, being quoted in The Athletic in a story saying, I'm not happy with these negotiations. He himself said it. Nobody's blowing it out of proportion. Gabe said, I'm pissed off, and everybody said Gabe's pissed off, and now that everybody are blowing it out of proportion? You can believe that it was a it was a tough negotiation, while also admitting that, yeah, they're probably going to get it done at the end. And mm-hmm. they did get it done at the end. We saw what Gabe was posting on Instagram with the funny videos. I'm not fucking leaving from uh, Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. I believe it was. And, which he uh, had prepared, right? Which you he know, had he, prepared. He had that for a few weeks. He's like, I'm, when I sign, I'm dropping this. It's going to be hilarious. Yeah. You knew they were going to get it done. You knew they were going to figure it out. I know we kind of said where they were 50-50, and I wasn't always positive about it on here. But you just knew something there was going to make it get done and they worked on it. And, you know, what I was saying the last day heading into the night of July 27th, where 10 p.m. Mountain Time is when he had to sign the deal in order to be able to get eight years. What I said going into that was, and I told Mike Chambers this, I said, as long as there is no news, it's good news. Because while people were getting, you know, while reporters and insiders were tweeting things like, uh, I'm hearing Tyler Bozak has decided to stop negotiations with the Blues. He's going to test the market. And so-and-so is going to test the market. And Jaden Schwartz is going to test the market. There was nothing on Landeskog. There was no good. There was no bad. There was nothing. And when there is nothing, that means they're on the phones. They're working. They're talking about it. And then lo and behold, 23 minutes before that deadline, eight-year contract, $7 million a year. And again, in business and negotiation, neither side is going to come out of the gate with the deal they ultimately end up doing, right? So they knew they had time. Joe Sackett was probably coming in low. Gabe Landis got coming in high. Wait, wait him out, wait him out, let him sweat, let him be angry, let him come out to the public and say things in the media and 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 give this sense that there's an issue here and make people nervous. Maybe even Gabe Landeskog nervous. Okay. Maybe I do have to adjust my, my side of things a little bit here. If I want to stay, I don't want to leave. And Joe Sackick knows he doesn't want to leave. I think it was just a simple game of business. And there was never a second that Joe Sackick thought he was going to lose his captain. He was just doing his best to, to keep a, keep care, keep an eye on the business side of it. Right. As much as he loves his captain and wants a great relationship with him. He also has a job to do. And he was doing his best to keep that in mind. I don't blame Sackick. I think everything went the way it was supposed to and the way Sackick planned. I bet you if you talked to him at the beginning of the offseason, he would have told you this is exactly how it was going to play out. So, again, it might be a little bit of a bad look and it might have been uncomfortable for Gabe Landeskog and Az fans. But at the end of the day, everything's fine and everything's everything's moving forward the way we wanted it. Yes. Now, I'm going to say a couple things about that. So... I don't believe the term or the money was ever the issue as much as it was the little intricacies that make up a contract. So let's take the St. Louis Blues, for example. The Blues never give signing bonuses. 
They never give no move and no trade clauses. The only guy they have on their roster that has any of that stuff is Ryan O'Reilly, and that's because they traded for his contract. They didn't sign that contract. When Alex Petrangelo went to free agency last year, he wanted the big money signing bonuses. He wanted the July 1st, you pay me 11 million and then my, you know, my actual dollars for the season is 700K. Just, you know, pay me a couple dollars every paycheck because you already paid me my full salary on July 1st. He wanted one of those deals and that was the line in the sand for the Blues. We are not doing it. He got it in Vegas. I don't think 8.8 per year AAV was going to be an issue for the Blues. It was rather the little intricacies that make up the deal. Now let's take a look at the deal, uh, courtesy of Puckpedia, that Landis got got. This was something we talked about with Kale McCarr, where Kale had one year with a $1 million signing bonus. Looking at Gabe Landeskog's contract, exact same thing. In year six, he gets a $1 million signing bonus and a $5 million salary. Now the most important thing about this contract is if Gabe wanted those big money bonuses, the 9 or $10 million check from Stan Kroenke every July 1st, I don't think he would be an avalanche today. But he was willing to go off of that. Now, the other part of the deal that I think was important for Joe Sackick was Sackick doesn't like, nor do the avalanche like the idea of giving a 28-year-old an eight-year contract, and that's okay. Here is the part where I think made the contract work and made it happen is this. The first four years of the contract has a no movement clause. Years five through eight have a modified no trade clause where Gabe can pick 12 teams to which the avalanche could trade him to. Now, basically what that says to me is over the last week and not even over the last week, but over the last week, it's been even more apparent. But over the last few years, we've realized that in the NHL, every single contract is tradable whether it's Oliver Ekman Larson, no matter who it is, Shane Gostisbehere, Louis Erickson, no matter how bad the contract, and it's going to be even more apparent when Jeff Skinner one day gets traded with that terrible contract, every contract is tradable. So what the Avalanche said was, we are committing to you for four years at $7 million a year for $28 million. Once year five comes around, all bets are off. If we don't want you, give us a team and we're shipping you out. So you're still going to get your eight years at 7 million, but we are only guaranteeing that four of them are with us. Once year five comes around, give me one of 12 teams. See you later. Take a hike. You want to be here for eight years, be a $7 million forward for eight years. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the best. That's the only way you got to do it, right? I mean, that was our biggest worry was term. And then you and I argued for maybe 15 minutes just about the length of a possible contract for Gabe Landeskog. So again, Joe Sackick protecting himself as a businessman. At the same time, maintaining the relationship he has with his captain. I think, again, yeah. it's, a it's a tough act to juggle, right? But he did it, and, and at the end of the day, I think everybody's happy. And, um, yeah, I like the way you pointed that out. If, if it doesn't work out in four years, he's gone. And uh, obviously none of us want that to be the case. But, I mean, it, I think it's great structuring. And, I, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't know why you cannot like that. Yeah, and it's not just the fact that, you know, if year five you suck, you're out of here. It's the fact that by year five... The fact of the matter is we might have to trade you because we need the cap space. We might have to trade you because a 24-year-old Alex Newhook at that point is looking for a $7 million deal and we can't pay him. So no disrespect to you, Gabe, but when you're 33 years old, you're no longer a priority. You are right now at 28. So we're going to give you that contract. We're going to guarantee that no matter where you go, you have a seven, an eight-year, $7 million per year contract but it might not be with us. So when you look at contract signings that people sign, you always have to look into the details. It's the little things that make up the deal. It's the salary structure. It's the bonus payment structure. It's the no moves and the no trades. Brandon Saad, like I said, he could have gotten five years at four and a half with the avalanche, but St. Louis was willing to say, we can't trade you for the first four years. No movement clause. We won't touch you. And he said, great, I can move my stuff to St. Louis. And as, as uh, Greg Wyshynski always says, that's where his stuff is. He doesn't want to leave. That's where his stuff is going to be for four years. He knows he can get traded without him knowing. No surprises. No, hey, by the way, we're shipping you to Columbus or no, hey, we traded you for Zadorov. None of that anymore. That's what made the difference between Brandon Saad signing with the Avalanche or whoever else and with the Blues. Those are the little things that made Landis Gog's deal so good. Yeah, and all he has to do to stick around here is just maintain a decent level of production, right? As long as he doesn't fall off a cliff and doesn't hurt himself to a point where he can't skate anymore, I think... You know, while you're saying, yeah, it's tradable, I think there's a, a more than good chance that he finishes the full seven years as an avalanche. Yeah, the full eight years. And and that eight. is a possibility. Yeah, that is a possibility. And in the end, it's it's 
again, it's good business. It's Landis mm-hmm. God protecting his assets and himself, which is I'm going to get paid $56 million. And it's Joe Sackick protecting his business and saying in four years, if we need to get rid of you, we will. We don't want that to happen, but we're going to have that just in case because we think that you are for sure worth $7 million for four years, but we can't say the same about you for sure being worth $7 million in years five through years eight. Perfect. Well, I think with that, we've covered every uh, move that the Avalanche have made in the last, what, four or five days. Um, Yeah, it's been a fun week. Yeah. I mean, we were just here recording on Sunday. It is now Thursday night and we had a whole podcast to fill worth of stuff. So, um, you know, I think that's all we really have for the day, right? Anything else you want to get out there? Yeah, that's basically it. They also signed a couple depth guys in Stefan Mateau and uh, Dylan Sakura and Roland McEwen. Obviously, those are just depth guys because we saw depth guys like Sheldon Dries and Kyle Burrows and uh, Adam Werner, Dan Renouf. Those guys have all moved on. Tynan, Liam O'Brien, they've all signed deals elsewhere. Uh, so those are the replacements for that. But, you know, there's more coming and we're going to talk about it when it comes. But it's it's not been a terrible few days for the Avalanche. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, like you said, we'll be back to uh, keep breaking things down throughout the off season. We're not going anywhere. So thanks to everybody who's been hopping on board. I mean, I feel like we've had a lot of new listeners in these last couple of weeks, a lot of old listeners, of course. So thanks to both groups in the Venn diagram. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you haven't already, please make sure you are subscribing so that you get those episodes right to you without having to wait for the tweet saying that it's out there, check in malhighsports.com, get them right downloaded to your phone, get those uh, get those listens in and, and really let us know what you think about the podcast. And there's your boomer moment, right? Go, Don't have to check the Twitters to, to get the podcast. You don't pod- got to check the Twitters <laughs> or the websites that come straight to your cell phone. And as, al- <laughs> and as always, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your mom's friends, tell your friends' moms that we're a great podcast and your go-to Avalanche podcast here at Mile High Sports with Arif, JJ, And we can't forget about Patrick Stedman making us sound so clean. I mean, so clean. Beautiful. Reach out to Patrick Stedman. Tell him how great of a job he's doing. You can find him on Twitter, too. At P. Stedman. Right, Patrick? Is that the handle? Patrick fell asleep. Oh, no. I'm here, man. Just disappointed. I thought you followed me. (laughs) Um, And, uh, (laughs) of course, Arif. You can find him at RunRightArif. Find me at JJ of the year. I'm kind of quiet during the offseason. But, hey, you write to me. I'll write back right away so uh, thanks for hanging out with us in this podcast um you know as always hockey's for everybody and we got you